The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Good morning. Hope everybody's doing well today. It is October 1st, if you weren't aware of that. So welcome to October. How many of y'all love the fall? <clears throat> How many of you guys already missed summer? Okay, so yep. I did see on the weather there's maybe a resurgence of summer next weekend. So uh, get out your Speedos and your baby oil again. Um, if that's you, by the way, stay away from me. Okay, anyway. Um, but uh, hey, real quick, I want to mention this. If you worked in the neighborhood, uh, it's something we do on Tuesday nights. If you've been a part of that, volunteer to make that happen, um, would you just raise your hand and keep your hand up? If you've been a part of the neighborhood, just raise your hands real quick. Got a few hands in here. Would you give them a hand real quick for making that happen? Um, <clears throat> This Tuesday is the two-year anniversary of the neighborhood or two-year birthday or however you want to say it. And what it is, if you're not familiar, is every Tuesday night, we provide an incredible meal and just a, a community kind of environment. And it's over at the Marysville Historical Society. And it started out two years ago with six people that showed up. And it is now two dinners that happen at 5.30 and 6.45 every Tuesday, where over 100 people every week are served. And again, get that sense of community. Because there are people that maybe wouldn't come on a Sunday or be a part of something like this but need community. So I just, I'm so proud of the volunteers that make that happen. I want to say thank you. Also want to give a shout out to Megan. She's not here today. She texted us this morning that she wasn't feeling well, so she's not here, but she's the one who really has been heading it up and does a great job. And if you know her, or have an email for her or whatever, would you just send her a thank you, a little shout out? I'm sure she would appreciate it, but she does such a great job with the neighborhood. And of course, if you're looking for a spot to volunteer and Tuesday nights might be open, I'd uh, love to have you get involved on a rotation and be a part of making that happen. I think I think you'd find it pretty uh, profound. So anyways, um, we're in a new series today. It's the book of James that you can see on the screen there. And it's back to the basics. If you've ever read uh, the book of James, it's got all kinds of different topics. And we're going to be taking on kind of topics as we go week by week. Today, obviously, we'll start in chapter one and we'll get to the text here momentarily. Uh, I gave my life to Christ about, you know, 16, 17, almost years old, uh, going to Marysville Pilchuck uh, and, and really here in this building, I actually had this kind of revelation of Jesus, surrendered my life to him. And I remember, you know, the, kind of this, this radical faith in me that was like for, for years, I took to reading scripture, studying the Bible a lot. Obviously I still do that. But back then I remember praying all the time, God work in my life. And, and I would go through some trial, some challenge and be like, come on, Lord, work in my life. And it would hurt. It was painful. I work in my life. And I remember at one point reading in Revelation, there's a point where there's two witnesses as persecution ramps up in Jerusalem and they would be witnesses for Jesus and they would end up being killed for their faith. And then they would rise to life and people would marvel and they would preach. And I remember back in the day thinking, man, I want to be one of those two witnesses. How awesome is that? And nowadays I pray that, you know, work in my life, but I pray it like this, like, would you work in my life? Kind of. Anybody with me on that? Like back, I just remember, I don't know if it's like, hey, I'm just not maybe as radical as I was. And honestly, when I think of those two witnesses, I'm like, I'm sure the Lord has somebody that will do a great job of being one of those guys. So, um, but, but admitting that is maybe you could go, well, that's just kind of life and how things go. But I will say this, there's something about God working in our lives that we go through the ringer and it's painful and we're maybe not quite as bold to pray some kind of blank slate, blank check prayer, God work in 
my life. And I bring it up because as we get into this letter that James wrote to the churches, um, it's, it's got some words in it that make you think maybe he's a little off his rocker. And so we'll get to that here in a moment. I'm going to read the text. I'm going to pray. And then we'll jump in. It says this in James one, verse one, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops or produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. And God, I pray that again, as I often do, your spirit would bring us all to a place of surrender. For many of us that, that would say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm committed to this journey. God, open our hearts wide for how you want to maybe challenge our perspective. And for some that maybe are in the room and they're kind of kicking the tires, the idea of faith, or just kind of visiting for today, I also pray that your spirit would work in them to, to realize the power message of the gospel, how amazing it is, what you've done for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So it starts out, and obviously it's a first name, James. Now, let me be clear about who this is, and some of you might already know, but this James was not a believer during the ministry of Jesus. When he's taking the three years with the disciples and he's teaching crowds and performing miracles and doing all that he does, this individual is not yet a believer. <clears throat> they end up becoming a believer later on down the line. And Paul, there's another James, by the way, that you need to know about, James, the brother of John. He was one of the apostles, the disciples. This is a different James, and he became a believer later on. If you're taking notes, Notes, which let me step back for a second. If you're in a life group, let me encourage you to take notes. And there's a trifold in the seat in front of you there, unless you're on the front row, then you're, you're hosed. Anyway, um, but I'm just kidding there in behind you. But, but if you're in a life group, fill those out. If you're not in a life group, still fill one out. I encourage you to take some notes, maybe look at it during the week. And if you're not in a group, I want to challenge you to consider getting in a group because some great connection, great conversation, great encouragement happens in groups. But if you're taking notes, you can write down 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 through 8. And it reads like this. Paul says, for what I received from the Lord, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. And again, what he seems to indicate here is there's a progression or an order of, of individuals becoming believers. And he says he appeared to Peter, then to the 12 after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of, all, most of whom are still living though some have fallen asleep. And then verse seven says, then he appeared to James, that's the James we're talking about, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. And so Paul says that, talking about he used to be Saul, persecutor, had a vision of Jesus on the road to Damascus. Anyways, so James becomes a believer later. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord <clears throat> Jesus Christ. So he surrenders to Jesus because Jesus somehow appeared to him. Now, this James, and some of you already know this, is the half-brother of Jesus. 
James' parents are Mary and Joseph. And so this is Jesus' half-brother, again, not a believer in Jesus during Jesus' ministry, but after the death, burial, and resurrection, later on he becomes a believer that his brother, his half-brother, is the Messiah. So he says, uh, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's also a leader of the church in Jerusalem. If you write down Acts 15, what you'll find when you read that is this, that that uh, Paul uh, had gone on a missionary journey. Some Gentiles that weren't Jews became believers, and there was some discussion among the apostles of what should they be required to do. And most of all, it was not according to the law of the Old Testament, but to really keep the peace of culture. And so what should they do? And it's James in Acts 15, this James who speaks up, gives some advice to the apostles, they take his advice and send letters to the Gentile believers all over the place. That's the James that we're talking about. And then it says this, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And you might go, well, what is that about? First of all, James' audience in particular, when it says the 12 tribes, is the Jewish believers in Jesus. And then it says to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Well, why does he say scattered among the nations? Let me step back and give you context. First of all, they didn't just move away because they thought it would be fun to live somewhere else. Like in today's world, you have people that used to live here and they moved to you know, Tennessee or Montana or wherever, and then they moved again and you're not sure where they're at and people travel and move all the time. Back in Jesus' day, and by the way, this still exists in most of the world today, wherever you were born, you travel within 5, 10, 20 miles of that vicinity, but you don't get out and fly and move different places. In Jesus' day, when it talks about they're scattered, it wasn't because they're like, hey, let's move to a better climate or whatever. Um, it, it had to do with persecution. They were forced through persecution. <clears throat> Let me take you back historically a little bit. If you're taking notes, you can write down the word diaspora or the dispersion. <clears throat> what happened, and, and you might remember this from the beginning of 2023, 20, during the prophetic books of the Old Testament, the prophets had said, to the nation of Israel. You need to walk in obedience. Don't give yourself to idolatry. If you do or as you are, you're, en- you're going to end up not having your own nation. You're going to be exiled. Bad things are going to happen. Well, as they continue to give themselves to idolatry, that's exactly what happened. And the Babylonian, Babylonian Empire took them into exile. The Assyrian Empire kind of owned them more or less, and they didn't have their own place, and they weren't their own people without being subject to these other nations. They were dispersed, forced out of their land because God said through the prophets, that's what's going to happen if you continue to be who you are, and they walked in disobedience. So that was part of it. Another portion happens between Malachi and Matthew in this in-between from Old Testament to New Testament, that there was persecution. They weren't their own people. Um, As the Roman Empire gains power, um, there was persecution that again caused them to disperse. Hellenism or the Greek kind of culture of their world became part of some of their customs, and there was all kinds of fighting that happened, and they were dispersed once again. Keep following me here. But when you get to the book of Acts, what you see is persecution that causes them to scatter. At one point, when you look at it in Acts chapter 4 and 5, Peter and John are teaching. The Sanhedrin and the religious leadership don't like what they're teaching because they're saying Jesus you know, is the Messiah and, and, and you know, the answer, and, and they don't like that, and they become jealous. So they start with persecuting Peter and John, reprimanding them, beating them a bit, and it says in Acts chapter 5, they were excited because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus, right? It's kind of awesome. And, and what happens as you continue in Acts chapter 
7 is Stephen stands up to preach a sermon and he makes the crowd so angry about this vision he has of Jesus in the moment that they pick up rocks and stone him to death. And that's the very first martyr or the person that would give their life for the message of the gospel when you look at the book of Acts. When you get to Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says this, on that day, <coughs> excuse me, great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles, and here's the word, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, Acts 8, 3, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So persecution ramps up from beatings and imprisonment to martyrdom and people being killed. And in fact, as you continue through the book of Acts, James, the brother of John, would be martyred in Acts chapter 12. Josephus, a parabiblical or post-biblical historian, would write about James, the half-brother of Jesus, in AD 62 being martyred for his faith. And he also was stoned to death because of his leadership within the Christian church. So that's the context of James writing to the church that he cares about that's been scattered because of persecution and he wants to encourage them. And he starts out by saying to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. And then he says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of various kinds. And you and I, especially if you've been in Jesus for any length of time, read that and go, ooh, that's good, I really like that. Let me give you a context real quick. Let's say this morning when you woke up, somebody charged into your house and said, this place is mine and everything in it is mine and you need to leave. And you're like, I'm calling the police. So you call the cops and you say, hey, I have an intruder that's taking over my house. They say that my stuff is theirs and I don't know what to do. And the cops go, sorry, but you lose your stuff. It is what it is. You need to get out. So what you do is you get in your car and you start driving here and somebody forcibly pulls you over, drags you out of the car and says, that's mine now. And you're like, what is going on? And you walk into church and go, Pastor Nick, you're not going to believe what just happened. I have a house, but apparently it's not my house anymore. And the cops couldn't do anything. And, and I drove here and somebody stole my car over on 51st and I had to walk three blocks to get here. What, what is going on here? And I go, greetings, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. And you would think to yourself, you have a really nice smiley face and a super punchable face all at the same time. <laughs> See, when you read Consider It Pure Joy, whenever you face trials of many kinds, you read that and go, God, I wanna get through every trial. That is the context of him saying to the church that I care about because he's led the church in Jerusalem that's been forcibly scattered from their homes because of persecution. And that's why I say, is James off his rocker to say, consider it joy that I don't have a place to live all of a sudden and my vehicle was taken and I gotta get out of here because they wanna harm me now because I believe in Jesus? James says, consider it pure joy? What would you do? And some of you would go right to, what is it, the Second Amendment? The right to bear arms, and you know, I'm taking care of business. <laughs> James is literally saying to a church going through the ringer of ringers, consider it joy when you face these trials. What about you? 
See, part of something that, that's important for you and I to understand, and I've said this before, is that you and I, in essence, don't own anything. We're stewards of it. And I realize that you may have a bill of sale or a title to the home or the car or whatever it is, that that's yours. And on one hand, great, it's yours. But in essence, from a spiritual lens, nothing is ours. We are simply stewards of anything that God has entrusted to us. And I've said before, including the relationship I have with my kids, like raise them, love them dearly, jump in front of a bus from, for them. But it is my role as a steward, as a parent, to love them well and teach them well that they eventually can go and spread their wings as their own adults because they're not mine. I'm a steward of them. I am a steward of everything I've been entrusted. And later on in this letter, and we'll get to it, James reminds us that we're simply a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And every year of my life that goes by, the more I feel like that's true. Life is short. And you may have decades and decades and decades to go, or you may not. But the simple fact is, James says, we're just a mist. And over and over, the writers of the new covenant would remind us, this is not our home. We're simply pioneers or pilgrims passing through. And so what we have here and how we've established ourselves is not a guarantee that it's always this way. And we have the fortunate circumstance today to have things pretty peaceably that what persecution looks like to you and me is typically the form of like, I wear a King of Kings shirt out to the Seattle premium outlets and somebody gives me the stink eye and I feel terrible. That's not persecution. That's nothing like what's going on here. And James has the audacity to say to his audience that's scattered all over the, the land that they're not familiar with and things are hostile, consider it joy. And, and he says of various kinds, and on one hand, it can be the kind of persecution where they lost everything, and that still happens today, and martyrs are still dying for their faith in Jesus around the globe today as we speak. But, but he says of various kinds, including that kind of persecution, but also things like disillusionment, things like betrayal, things like disappointment, and things that are frustrating or overwhelming or deep loss and, and grief. We all will walk through trials. And James has the audacity to say to you and to me, consider it pure joy. How dare you say that? But the reason is there's something going on deeper that he's trying to encourage his audience to understand. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Oh, that's what's going on. So when I'm going through something that's overwhelming, when I feel the sting of betrayal, when I face the loss of something that's my property or whatever example you want to give, I can have some level of joy in it because God is doing something to develop perseverance within me. And there's not a person within the sound of my voice, whether you're watching online right now or you're in the room, there is not a person here that doesn't need more perseverance that couldn't use a little extra perseverance because this applies to everybody. There was a pastor years ago who once said, there's three types of people in the world. Those that are coming out of a trial, those that are in the middle of a, middle of a trial, or those that are heading into a trial. Pretty hopeful, huh? You're like, awesome. <laughs> but this is what James is reminding us of, that we will face trials whenever they happen 
It's a moment to step back and instead of giving into the futility of, I just give up, Calgon, take me away. Old reference. I think from the 80s. Or you, you, you have a, a bunch of bottles in a cabinet and you're just going to throw a few back. Or you're going to purchase something new because it makes you feel better. Or you got to delve into some relationship you have no business being into because it medicates. Or whatever ways that you and I would cope, James says, trust. God is doing something that you might not understand today. That you might not understand tomorrow or next week or maybe even next year. But I'm telling you that there's a guarantee that God is doing something to shape you in the midst of your trial. That's what he's saying. Because he's trying to develop in every one of us a perseverance. And then he goes on in verse 4 to say, perseverance must finish its work so that we can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And we all want that part but we don't want the test part. We don't want the trial part. We don't want the hard stuff part, but it will all come our way at some point, period. One of the things I've observed as a follower of Jesus 31 years now is this, I have grown more in the hard times than the good times. I have grown deeper in the challenging trials that I've faced than when I'm on the mountaintop. And I know we can say this and you get it, but if you look at our world and and you you go, you know, mountains like we have over here, the Cascades of the Olympics, and you hike to a certain level and you get up high enough, there's hardly anything growing, but it's an incredible view. But it's amazing how what grows is, is, is growing and flourishing as you get down into the valley further. There's something about for you and I, mountaintops are great, but we grow in the valley. And I honestly believe as I look at my own life, moments where I had season, I couldn't sleep where my appetite was gone, when I felt like I was going through the ring, where emotionally I was wrecked. But as I learned to lean into seasons like that, I grew more than any other season when I was on a mountaintop. And I don't say that to make you feel terrible, like, oh, yippee. But it's a simple truth that if you've stepped back in your life and, and looked at it, if you've learned through a spirit of perseverance some of the things that God wants to teach you, That's where maturity develops. James says it to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, Jews. Peter is writing to Gentiles and Jews. And again, if you're taking notes, you can write down 1 Peter 5, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. Peter says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come, here's the why, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. Why do we go through things? Why do we face the mountains? Why is there hurdles in front of us? Why is it that this isn't just some easy skip down an open path? Because it's a test that's proving the genuineness of our faith. And what God wants in all of us is roots that grow down deep, is a depth that only comes through walking through those trials. Consider it pure joy because there's purpose in your pain. 
And then if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Who gives generously to all without finding fault? And you will receive it. And so when you look at this, you go, well, is James changing the conversation? Did James go from, if any of you lacks, uh, if, uh, consider pure joy to this wisdom, and it's a separate conversation, but it's related. It's a reminder that when we go through trials, it feels confusing. And we don't necessarily know what to do or how to do or what not to do, what not to say, what to say. And so in the midst of those things that can cause in us a disillusionment, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't understand why this is happening. I don't know why it has to hurt so much. I don't know why the grief is there and it's so deep and dark and I can't seem to just jump right over it. I, I don't get it. So James says, there's a purpose in the pain and there's nothing wrong with praying for wisdom as you face it that God would maybe show you or give you a perspective that he's at work. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask. And I love how he, he puts this little thing in brackets almost where he says, ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. James is relying on the nature, the character of our heavenly father. He's a good God who wants to give good gifts, Jesus said, to those that ask. Here's the question. Are we asking See, oftentimes when we face those things that overwhelm us, what do we do? We send a text to somebody, can you meet? We make a phone call and we have the audacity to leave a voicemail, which is weird these days. Anyway, we, we, we reach out in every other way before we ever pray about it. And we spend days sometimes, weeks sometimes, looking every other direction for some sort of answer. When what we're called to do if we're followers of Jesus, first thing, pray, invite God into it. And one of the things is James is saying is we could easily go, well, I'm not worthy or I'm a terrible person. Or, I, don't, I don't know how to pray well or whatever. And James says, no, no, no. You've got a God who's a heavenly father that, that is generous and wants to give you some perspective, but you've got to ask. You've got to pray. When we quote something like Philippians 4. We love those verses. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present requests. And the peace of God, we love those verses, but you've got to focus on what he says there. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, pray. What if your first response in the midst of the trials you face was to pray? I understand we have friends that we can call. I understand we can binge on a movie and try to forget about our woes. I understand there's all kinds of ways to medicate. But Paul says in Philippians 4, James reminds us of it. Pray. God, <clears throat> I don't know what to do. And I don't know what to say. And I don't know how to. And I don't understand what you're... And, and, and as we pray, he says, pray to a God who wants to give generously. He's not looking to accuse and make you feel terrible and it will be given. And then he says this, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. And I wanna say this, when we talk about when we pray and what does it mean to believe and not doubt? Well, how do I know if I'm believing or, and, and doubting? Well, what is the difference? And I would simply say this, and this oversimplifies it. Let me put it this way. 
when you and I invite God into our situation, our circumstance, our lives in one way or another, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to. I could use some wisdom. I, I, I don't know what that looks. When we say amen and we step back from that prayer and go about our lives, praying, believing is looking for where God's answering. Looking for where we might find his Holy Spirit revealing to us what to do, how to do. And it can come, we don't have time for a message like this. It can come in a myriad of ways. And I, we always say like scripture, I would always say the number one way to learn the will and nature of God and understand that discernment, get into that thing, the living scripture that reveals things to us. And so sometimes we open the scripture and something pops out and go, that's the answer. And many of us in this room have been brought to tears in profound moments with the Holy Spirit because we've had that happen. Sometimes it's in a prayer time and we're not necessarily reading scripture, but we're just inviting the Holy Spirit, Lord. And he drops some word, some encouragement, something in us. And we go, that's the Lord right there. We're overwhelmed sometimes with peace, which is what Philippians 4, I'm overwhelmed. Wow, that, God. Sometimes it is a conversation with our spouse. And we go, that's just what I needed. Or a friend or somebody at work. Sometimes, honestly, again, myriad of ways. Driving down the road and some random billboard that says something. Or we're looking towards the mountains and we just have this impression that brings us some answer. All kinds of ways that God shows us, but to believe and not doubt is to pray. And then when we say amen and go about our day, looking for where God might be answering. And it is amazing as we grow in our ability to do that, how much more we see God answering rather than we're just praying out to the empty air. A.W. Tozer, and I, I always try to read on prayer, but it, it, Tozer says this, in order for me to understand how to pray like this, again, believe and not doubt, I must get to know God on a more personal and intimate level. The more I understand God and know him intimately, the more I will know how to pray for his glory and the more my prayers will be glorifying to him. He says, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who believe, uh, doubts not believes is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. And then the very end of it, it says, that person should not expect to receive anything such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And it's that idea of going, okay, I'm gonna ask God about this, but I'm also gonna figure it out in my own way. I'm gonna ask God about this, but then I'm also gonna do things I know he doesn't want me to do to try to solve it. Don't be double-minded about it. That's where the waiting comes in. And we don't like the word wait, but you wanna develop perseverance, you've gotta learn the waiting. God, would you show me? And then instead of trying to fix it, to step back and allow the Holy Spirit to remind you, wait, watch, God is doing something. And if you try on your own, you're gonna make an even bigger mess. Anybody ever been there besides me with both hands up? Like, right? I'm like, yeah, there you go. There's something about that maturity in us that needs to develop that we wait. Jesus, and I know you know this, but bear with me here. Jesus went on trial as persecution for him ramped up. And, and at the point of the trial that wasn't even done correctly and justly, he was beaten horribly. And, and a crown of thorns was put on his head. He was spit on and, and mocked and he was crucified. And we know this, but here's the other side of it. His followers were baffled. Our hope is dying. Our leader is gone. We're, we're finished. And then Jesus says, it's finished. And they're like, I know. It's finished. 
Remember, they had said, hey, maybe we'll rule with him. Hey, if he's gonna be the king, maybe I could be like the second in command, third in command. Maybe we could line up and figure out where we fit in the order of ruling this whole thing. And if he overthrows Rome and the, you know, Israel becomes a nation, this is gonna be amazing. And then he dies on a cross. Now, I know you get ahead of me on this, but from the disciples' perspective, what in the world? And they're like, all right, let's just go back to fishing. Everyone scattered. What a weird three years. Only to catch the rumblings of a couple of ladies who would go to the tomb and then realize he wasn't there and run back and tell him he's not there. And at first when they saw it, they thought somebody just stole him. Well, he was buried and they got to make this thing up because he said maybe he lived here. They stole him. And so they go to the gardener. They're like, what did you do? Where did you put him? And they're like, he's like, Hey, Mary, it's me, and ta-da. She freaks out and tells the disciples, and Peter and John get into a, a, a marathon match, like who's gonna win the run? And Peter gets there first. And they're like, he's not here. And angels appear, and they begin to go, wait a minute, there was something bigger happening. And I know most of you, the cat's out of the bag, and oh yeah, he's alive, great. And that's awesome, it's the best thing ever. But for them, they didn't see it that way at first. All it looked like was, his death and the end of everything. But there was purpose in his pain. And again, we could take it for granted. Oh yeah, we already know all that. But there is not an example I can think of in scripture of any one individual that didn't go through an incredible amount of pain, sometimes of their own doing. And yet when you look back on the story, you go, surely God was at work. He was buried in the tomb, but then rose. It's where we find grace and hope. It's where we find life in Christ, believing that what he did was pay the price for our sin, raised from the dead, defeating the final enemy, death. That we go, sin is a problem in my life. Forgive me, God. Come into my heart. I want a new beginning. There was a purpose. And Jesus even said it to his disciples, which many of us in here would be today disciples. Die to yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. James would say, consider it pure joy. There's purpose in what you're going through. And we've got to reframe everything we face, believing that God is working. We don't always see it. We don't always get it. But at some point as we look back, the light bulb comes on. You are doing something, God. Will we trust it? Father, today, there's so many ways in our lives that this plays out. And I love that James wrote it of various kinds because there's various trials we face and some feel far more severe than others, but nevertheless, every single one of us is either coming out of a trial, in a trial right now, or will be going into one. And I pray in our souls this echo consider up your joy, that Lord, you're working. And Father, you're doing something and what it is partially is deepening our perseverance, is proving our faith genuine as we lean in to you. Holy Spirit, empower. Holy Spirit, do that work in every heart. 
remind us from things as dumb as traffic jams that make us late and we feel crazy, to, to deep grief from loss we feel and how to navigate it, to the extreme versions of James where they lose everything and they're forced out of the, their home. That God, we would lean into you no matter where it is on the spectrum. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.